Uh, we're going to go back to our subject this week uh, on how to live in this dark world that we live in. Uh, of course, we've been doing Psalms each night, but then kind of uh, going every other Wednesday night. Uh, tonight, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, because I've been going through 1 Peter, and there's some things we've been doing in the teenage class that's been, uh, I think, very beneficial, and I appreciated a lot of their comments and the, the approach on this. It, it's a difficult time. It doesn't matter what age that you are of trying to figure out and try to navigate through this world but it's not about just surviving in this world. It's about um, getting through it with a purpose. There, no matter what happens around us, it doesn't change who we're supposed to be. It doesn't change what we're supposed to say. It doesn't change uh, the things that we're supposed to do. It doesn't matter what we find ourselves into or what goes on around us. And we're going to continue talking about that tonight in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start about verse 8. We talked about last several weeks on different things in which uh, we're to do. And I think it goes back to the very first is realize we're sojourners, we're pilgrims. We, we don't belong here. So we can't fit in, but we've got to know how to live in this world. And he, 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 he told us some pretty practical things, especially when it comes to... Um, how we are to treat people around us, and he's going to continue that tonight uh, in this section because he talked. He went to talking about servants, he, he, he uh, particular, and how they're to treat their masters, and we related that how we treat those around us. Then he goes in specifically talking to wives and husbands, and now he goes back, uh, kind of talking to two different groups. One, the church, I think, in general, and then uh, also to individuals in general. And it goes a little farther than just, okay, this is how you're supposed to treat people. He goes into a little bit more of why and what we're to expect uh, out of it and what, how he expects us to be and what the purpose behind it is. So he goes into a little more detail and other, uh, instead of just basically saying, okay, just don't badmouth somebody, just don't do this. Remember he talked about in the beginning of how we're supposed to abstain and fight against these fleshly desires. And these fleshly desires is, is to want to live like everybody else, is want to treat everybody like everybody else treats everybody. And we've got to continue to fight against this. But notice what he says. He says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now notice how he starts out here. Finally, all of you be of one mind. And I think this is very important because when we're talking about how we should live for God, when we're talking about following the things that God says to do, when we're talking about being the example that we need to be while we're doing it, because I think this is one thing that I'm learning through this study myself as I was thinking about these things. It matters the example that we're setting. Okay, it's not just, okay, 
how I'm supposed to treat someone. Someone is bad-mouthing me, and I treat them like I'm supposed to treat them, and I don't bad-mouth them. It not only helps that situation, or it should, but what if there's somebody that's watching? What if someone's observing that, and, and they see me act in a way that a Christian shouldn't act? It not only has effect on me, the person that I'm doing it to, but all those that are, are observing it. And they're supposed to be seeing Christ in me, right? But what if they're not seeing Christ in me? What if they see me throwing a fit towards somebody, throwing a tantrum or, or bad-mouthing someone or hitting someone because they hit me or, or, or whatever it may be, that we're not interacting with individuals the way that we should. These things that he describes to me are not just about what we're going to get out of it, but the example that we're setting for those that are around us. Because again, that's what's going to give hearing to the gospel. The gospel is what saves, but how are we going to draw people to that gospel? You know, the Bible says that God draws individuals to him. How does he do it? He does that through us. We want somebody to say. We want somebody, you know, we used as an example about walking that extra mile. You know, it's not just about walking the extra mile. It's about doing it in the right way. It's about doing it without complaining, doing it without murmuring. Matter of fact, doing it that we look like and should be like, you know, this is something that I want to do. Because you want that individual to say, you're not like everybody else. You want that individual to say, there's something different about you. Because he goes on to say here, we've got to give reason of that hope that's in us with gentleness and meekness. Well, why would somebody even ask me about that? Because they, they observed me acting in a way that's different than everybody else acts, and they're wanting to know about that, and I've got to give them a reason of that hope that's in me. I've got to give them a reason. This is why I'm going that extra mile. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm blessing you instead of cursing you. You're persecuting me, but I'm doing this for you. Then they're going to ask why, and I've got to give them an answer of that reason of hope that's in me. So when you start putting this in the direct context that he's talking about here, it's about that light that we're shining in the world to call someone to want to come to Jesus. And we've got to act in such a way that they will, or they'd want to, or at least be inquisitive about it. But if we're not, why would they want to even be a part of it? But notice how he starts out. All of you be of one mind. I think this is very important. We cannot be effective here at Center Grove, if you want to put it to a local thing, if we're not all of one mind, can we? we? We can't be effective. We can't set the example we want to set if we're not all of one mind. Now, it doesn't mean we need to all have the same opinion, but when it comes to the things that he's been talking about here, about how we should live, the things that we should do, the way that God commands us to live, we need to be of one mind to that. When it comes to doctrine, we need to be of one mind. Not only in this congregation, but you should be able to go out through the brotherhood and everybody be of one mind. How much more effective would we be if we were all on the same page doing it exactly the way that God wants us to do it? Would we be more effective than we are now? I, I think so. You know, I, let me give you an example of this. <clears throat> You take, I, I can remember talking to some individuals about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And they started coming to church, and we were discussing things. And in the process of the conversations that I had with them, it come down to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And they told me about the situation they were in. We discussed some things from Scripture. And according to Scripture, according to how they were saying they were living their life, they were living in adultery. 
So we were trying to discuss that, trying to work through that, uh, trying to help them that. They, they wouldn't, it, it didn't go very well. But how it ended up was they went to another congregation. At another congregation, everything was fine. Wasn't any problems whatsoever. Everything was fine. So what's the problem? Is there a problem with that? Yeah. What's the problem? If, if I'm not living as I should, and I just use that particular instance as an example, you can insert anything that you want to. If I'm not living as I should, say the elders come to me and say, Ronald, you're not living as you should. You know, let us help you. And, and they're trying to work through. I, I get mad, get defensive about it, and I go somewhere else. I can, I can eventually find somewhere that will accept whatever it is that I'm doing. Well, think of the damage that that causes. The damage that that causes is, one, it gives me false hope, because now I think I'm okay when the scriptures may say otherwise. Uh, it affects those that are around me. So there's devastating consequences. But if we put it, so that's just about dealing with sin in general. We put it in the context that he's dealing with here of how we're to treat each other. If I want to be effective, say you've got... Two Christians here in, in, in basically the same situation. One is, is, is trying to do it the way in which the scriptures say. Someone's persecuting them as far as with their words and things they're doing. And you're, you're not turning, returning evil for evil. You're, you're trying to do what you're supposed to do. You've got the same person over here professing to be a Christian in the same similar circumstance. And they're just returning evil for evil. So you've got somebody here looking at both of those situations. You think it would have an effect on them? You think they look over here, well, this may be the way you're supposed to act, but here's a Christian that's acting this way, so it must be okay. You, you see, when you're not of one mind, how that can be detrimental to trying to spread the gospel. So I think when he's talking here, you, you need to be of one mind. We, we need to be of one mind. We need to have this, this focus of... You know, Jesus said, that's what he was praying for in John chapter 17, that we all be one. Paul talked about how in Ephesians, how we've got to strive for that unity. It takes work. You know, it's not easy to work together because we all have different opinions on things. But we should have the same goal, and that same goal is to follow that doctrine of Christ. Walking in that light. There's only one way to walk in the light. I can't walk in the light over here, do something totally different, and expect me to be in the light over here, can I? I've got to walk in the light here. We've got to be shining the same light. And if we're not doing that, then I think it can, it can create a lot of confusion. But he goes on a little bit. He says, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. So he's saying here, I think more particularly how we treat each other. I think he's saying if, if you can't get it together in your own house, you're not going to be effective outside of it. You're not going to be effective outside the body of Christ if you can't do it inside the body of Christ. So think about how you treat each other. That you're in one mind. You have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. What's he saying here, love as brothers? Is there a different kind of love? If, if, if I love Jerry as a brother, how's that going to be? Is that different than just liking him, general love? You know, he's talk, I think he's talking about treating him like family, you know, if, or as family should treat each other, I, I should say. Sometimes brothers can be a little hard on each other. But 
he's talking about your family. You have compassion for one another. You be tender-hearted. You be courteous. In other words, think about the other person. Don't let it always be about you. I can't let it always be about me. How's this going to affect me? How's this thing, this program at church that's happening, this new thing that we're doing, or, or, or how we're working together, doing this, whatever? Uh, sometimes what we think is, how's this going to affect me? But everything I do, I need to think about how it's affecting that person that's around me. Because, you know, there may be something that's a stumbling block to somebody. I need to think about that. There may be something that uh, can be discouraging to someone. And I have to think about that. I can't look and say, well, this is right or this is wrong. You know, Paul discussed this in length when it comes to liberty, didn't he? You know, I can't let my liberty become a stumbling block for somebody else. You know, there's things that ha have been stumbling blocks for me because I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I'm, you know, I like things done a certain way and always done this way. And I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm just talking about things in general. I don't like change at all. So things are hard for me. So I have to, I, sometimes I have a hard time distinguishing between something that I struggle with, something that I'm uncomfortable with, or something that's a sin. And those things are, we have to work through that. There's things that... You know, I may say, well, that's a sin to do, and I may find out with Scripture it's not. It may just be because I'm uncomfortable, that I'm not used to this, or, or I'm not seeing this, or something of this nature. And again, you can insert anything here, but it's about not only thinking of myself, I'm thinking about somebody else, and I know somebody else is thinking about me. How, how can we do this to help encourage Ronald, or how can we do this to help build him up and not do this? And I'm thinking about, you know, Paul talked about the weaker brother, didn't he? He talked about those weaker scruples. Every time I read that, I think, okay, how do I treat that weaker person? Well, maybe I'm the weaker person. Maybe I need to think about how somebody is doing this because I'm the weaker one. I, I may not be the strong one in that area. So we have to have compassion. We need to be tenderhearted, courteous to each other. It's just about treating each other the way that you want to be treated. But it's not just about waiting on them to do something good and then you do something good. You go ahead and do how you'd want somebody to do to you. You go ahead and take the initiative to do that. You go take the initiative to help someone, to encourage someone, to pray for someone, just to let someone know that you care. Don't just wait until you know, they ask you and say, well, yeah, I've been praying for you. Well, go up and tell them you have been. Go up and tell them that you've been thinking about them. Go up, you know, whatever it is, think about that other person. Then he goes in, I think, to a, a, a more general mode when he's talking about not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. So see, he goes a little bit farther than he talked about in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he talked about this, don't return evil for evil and don't revile how Jesus didn't revile, nor was guile found in his mouth. He goes a little bit farther, and he talks about, on the contrary, he says, but a blessing. But on the contrary, a blessing. So not only, if someone's reviling me, not only do I not revile back, how do I bless them? How do I have a blessing in that? I think maybe he had the Sermon on the Mound in mind here when he was thinking about this. What is it, Matthew 5? Have we got that on there? 10, 11, maybe? Yeah. Blessed are those... Notice what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. 
So not only are we not to do it, but there's a blessing in that. There's a blessing for us and a blessing for them. Let's go back to our, our, our text here. He says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So here he says this again. Remember he talked about, I think it was in chapter 2, how we were called for this very purpose for suffering. But it's not only suffering, that we're called to, to bless and have a blessing in the middle of that. Now think about this, and I actually looked this up. I, I was thinking about this, and, you know, if you want to find out, you know, the most accurate information that you can find out about our culture, of course, you go to Facebook, you know, where else are you going to find the truth at? Uh, you, you ever, I didn't know this was a thing. This is how dumb I am when it comes to that, that there's a hashtag blessed. You ever seen that? And so I just started looking up all this, what people put from celebrities to just, I guess, common folk, whatever. Hashtag blessed. And I've seen everything from, and I don't get this, I don't understand this. Every time I see it, I don't understand it. you got people who's got their picture of their Bible, their cup of coffee. They're all this that's down here, and they're having a serious devotion. You know, this is my serious devotion today. I'm really serving God, but I'm taking a picture to put it on Instagram. I just don't understand. If I'm doing that, I don't understand that. I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't understand it, why you would take time out to do that. You know, make sure your coffee mug just right. But it's always got hashtag blessed on it. Well, when we think if, if I was to say that I'm blessed, what do you think is happening in my life? So somebody asked me how I'm doing. I said, boy, I'm blessed. Good things are happening. That's exactly right. When we think about a blessing, we think about good things happening. <laughs> he felt blessed. But that's, I think that's what it is. When we say we're blessed, it's because something good's happening. I've seen people put they're blessed because they were riding in a new car, they were sitting on the beach, they were just, just moved into a new house. It was just a lot of things, boy, I'm blessed. Nothing he says here has to do with good things happening to you, but you're blessed. So it doesn't have anything to do with good things happening to us. You know, that's, I think that's the persona, that's what we think is I'm blessed when good things are happening. He says here, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So there's two things that happen here. How can I bless someone that's reviling me? In other words, talking bad, persecuting me with words or actions. How, how, what could I possibly do that could bless them? Is there anything I can do? Yeah, pray for it. What about not making the situation worse? Would that be a blessing? What, what about not returning evil for evil? Would that be a blessing? I think there's a lot of things I can do to bless them that we may not be think of blessing as we do, like some great thing happening, but I think that's a great thing happening. You've not made the situation worse by your actions. But notice, when it comes to our blessing, notice how he says it. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. My blessing may not come right now. My blessing may not be here and now in this world. My blessing may be coming in the next. That's what we're striving for, isn't it? I, inherit, what does inherit mean? 
If I inherit something, what am I getting? Yeah, so somebody has left me something. Somebody is giving me something as far as, you know, left behind in a will or whatever. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but we have a pretty good last will and testament, don't we? Of, of a blessing that's coming. You know, we're, we're blessed by being in, in the body of Christ, but that great blessing is what we're expecting in heaven. So he says that there's blessings in this, and that's what we're called to do. He said, you're called for this purpose. You know, and here's where I think he's really separating. You know, the Bible says we're separated. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9, 10, I believe, that we're sanctified, we're justified, we're set apart. Here's, I think here Peter is setting us apart a little bit more. He said, okay, you've got this group of people here that returns evil for evil, that reviling for reviling. You've got this person, this group here that acts like everybody else. Okay, he says, don't act like everybody else. You do good. You, you be a good person. You, you do good toward those people. You, you make people's you know, life different. You, you, you don't return evil for evil. So now you've got the group of evil for evil. Now you've got a group here that does good. Well, are there good people in this world that's not Christians? Yeah, there's good people in this world that's not Christians that treat people well, that, that doesn't, you know, doesn't yell at somebody when they yell back at them. So you've got this group but he wants us to be in this group. Not only don't be in the evil group, not only don't be in the just do good group, you be in the group that not only does good and don't return evil for evil, but you be a blessing to those that's around you. You, you, you go beyond just not bad-mouthing someone. You do good toward them. You, you even act different than the good person acts you act like a Christian, because a Christian is more than just being a good person. So he puts us in a whole different category here. He says, you've got to stand out different than the world does. And the world is full of all kinds of people, evil and good. But then there's Christian. Then there's servants of God. Then there's children of God, those that have an inheritance. He said, that's the group that I want you in. That's harder. You're called for this purpose, he says. You're called to do this. You're called to do good. You do what you can to make this situation better. As Paul says, live peaceably with all people as you're able to do. You're the peacemaker. You're not the troublemaker. You're not the grumpy complainer. You're not the one that's over here that's living like everybody. You're different than that. And you're not just a good person. You're a good person that's serving God that acts even different than that. It doesn't mean perfect. We're not perfect. It doesn't mean sinless. It means separated and set apart. And that's how we have to live. But again, he says, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, for he who would love life and see good days. He goes in and starts quoting David now in Psalms. Notice what he says. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You know, I've read this, this passage for years. I've preached from this particular section. If you want to love life and see good days. And I've always took it with, well, of course your life's going to be better. Some, if you don't punch somebody... My life's going to be better because they won't punch me back. Or somebody punches me and I don't, you know. I always looked at it more of, uh, you know, if I want to love life, I need to watch what I say. 
And I need to re refrain from my tongue from speaking evil, my lips from speaking deceit, turn away from evil. I, I looked at that like, and I think about that now. My life would be a lot easier than it is if I'd watch my mouth. One, if I wouldn't talk so much, I wouldn't be such a smart aleck. I wouldn't be so sarcastic all the time, you know. There's times my life would be a whole lot better because there's times people know, well, that's, you know, I can cut up going Ronald. That's the way he does. There's some people don't take it like that, and they take it totally different. And then I think, well, what if somebody over here that doesn't know me doesn't know that I'm kidding, doesn't know that I'm, you know, like this. I, I'm kind of living like everybody else. I'm not an evil person. I'm just being a little sarcastic, a little spiteful at times, a little this at times, you know. I, I'm these little things sprinkled around. Well, I'm not a bad person. Well, that's not what God says to do. He doesn't say just don't be a bad person. Live different than everybody else. Talk different than everybody else. So that brings it into a little more perspective. And then he says, not only turn away from good, or turn away from evil, but turn to good. He says, not just about don't do evil, pursue good. What can I do that's good? What can I do for this situation that can make it better? What can I do for this person that may be good for them, even though they're reviling me and persecuting me. I mean, think about it. He talked about in chapter 2 how, what Jesus did. Think about everything that was done to him, but everything that he did to try to make individuals' lives better. Not only spiritually, but physically. He, he fed them. He healed them. He didn't revile back at them. He prayed for them when they were nailing him to the cross. Hey, that's the perfect example. He said, this is why you were called. His purpose was to come and do that. We think about his purpose coming, dying for us on the cross to save us from our sins, and it was, but there's a lot in that process. What, what's there is he showed us how to live, and how we're to live is to follow his example because that's, that's the light we're shining, isn't it? I'm not shining my light. I'm shining his. I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. So that blood can continue to cleanse me. So I can have the fellowship with not only with God, but with each other that I'm supposed to have. How I do that is follow His example. And that's not easy to do. But what He called us to do isn't easy. It's the straight path. It's not the wide path. You know, it's building that house on the rock, just not throwing something up on the sand. It's doing what He said to do. And that's totally different. Uh, let's go a little farther. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord are against those who do evil. So he says here, he sees what you do. He knows what you're doing. He, he's aware of the suffering that you're going through. He's aware of the persecution that you're going through. And again, we are going to inherit a blessing. There's blessings in that suffering. Now, not all suffering is blessed because some suffering I bring on myself. Some suffering I deserve. That's not uh, blessed suffering. <laughs> blessed suffering that the Father approves of is suffering for His name, for doing good, when I don't deserve the suffering that I'm getting, when I don't deserve the persecution, when I don't deserve that. But He said blessed when this happens for righteousness' sake. So if I'm trying to live a righteous life and I'm being persecuted for it, but I'm not returning persecution for persecution, I'm not turning evil for evil, he said there's a blessing in that. In other words, what, what you're doing is, as Paul put it, 
You're living out your reasonable service. You're living out your living sacrifice. And that blessing is going to be what God promised you, a home in heaven. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. Because our righteousness, our own righteousness is just filthy rags, isn't it? It's His righteousness. He's the one that tells us how we should live. Um, and who is He who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Um, now this, this can't possibly mean if I do good to someone that they won't harm me. You think that's true? <laughs> we may be harmed and still be doing good. But I think this is a general statement. I think it's a general rule. If I treat people good, if I do good toward them, then it makes it harder for them to do evil toward me unless they just hate what I'm standing for. But, but notice what he's saying here. He, he, he's saying you can make the situation better. And look, Proverbs 17, I'll have Brian put that up. I got to think about this for, and he may have this in mind. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So what's this good nugget of wisdom we have here for Proverbs? He says if, if, if we're pleasing to the Lord, it makes even his enemies be at peace with him. By and large, and I found this to be true when I've consistently done it, somebody may not like the stance that I take for God. Somebody may not like how I'm living. But they can come to respect the consistency of it. You think that's true? I think they can look at it and say, okay, I may not like it, but at least they're... I tell you, I respect someone who they might not agree religiously. They may be adamant about it. But I respect them more than someone who's just wishy-washy about it. Don't you? I mean, somebody who stands up. If you're not going to stand up for what you believe in, there's nothing to respect. You know, a, a, a person that, that stands up for, for what they believe. Now, our belief has to be based on truth. You know, it's just like our conscience being our guide as long as our conscience has been taught what's right. But as he says here, this can change. And that's the purpose. That's what Peter is talking about. We're talking about changing that person's mind, changing their belief, causing them to question how they're living and want to know about how we're living. And that's, I believe that's the goal. I think that's how you, you know, that's why Jesus came so he could show others. That's how you change people, isn't it? How did Paul change the jailer? Do you think about that? He's in jail him Silas, he's in the inner parts of the jail. He could have been moaning and complaining and, and, and taking his little tin cup and, you know, rolling it on the, on the bars and yelling at him. You think that would change the jailer's mind about how he was living his life? But he heard Paul and Silas singing. And then when the earthquake came and the doors were open, they could have run free. He, he was about to kill himself because he said, I'm, I'm dead man. <laughs> You know, I've lost my prisoners. Paul said, nope, we're still here. So he sees them singing. They're still there. Now he wants them to give an answer of that hope that's in them. And he changed him. What about the thief on the cross? Did Jesus change one of the thieves on the cross by how he lived his life? By what, how they seen how he done while they were crucifying him? Changed his mind. I mean, that, that's what's going to change. That's what draws people. You've got to give hearing to the gospel. 
And I think that's what Peter is talking about here. He's using Christ as an example. He said, follow that example because you want to draw people to him. You want to draw people to that light, but there's got to be something to that light. There's got to be some substance to it. There's got to be something uh, that they can look at and say, yeah, this is different. And I'm sure I said this before, but that's the main thing that I asked individuals in India. How could you possibly, how could you possibly, because I, I, I truly wanted to know, especially I've seen, seen these three ladies here just, you know, forever talking amongst herself and talking to one of the brethren and, you know, while we were doing the invitation, the invitation there goes 30 minutes to an hour, basically. <laughs> you, know, you're, it, it's, you know, you're just, you're encouraging and encouraging encouraging and pleading. And they're talking about it and I'm thinking, What's taking them so long? You either want to or you don't. And then I found out they were going to lose their home and be beaten and possibly murdered by their husbands as soon as they did. And I thought, hmm, I don't know if I, okay, you can do it, but don't do it when I'm here. I don't want to be held responsible for this. I mean, that's, that's just thoughts that were going through my head. I'm like, how can you do that? How, how can I asked uh, Raju on the way back from that village, I said, how, how can people do that? What causes people to be starving in this village? Starving. A, a banana plantation right beside of it, and they won't steal one banana. Not one. What causes someone to live like that? What causes someone to obey when they know they may lose their life, but they know for certain they're going to lose their livelihood? What, what causes that? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, because there's something better. There's something better. He said, that's what we're preaching is something better than this life. So it doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. There's something better. And, and I, I've, I've went back in my mind several times thinking about this, especially when we were, as I've been studying this, that's what this is all about. We've got to show the world there's something better. But I tell you, friends, if, if, if we don't act any different than everybody else acts, we don't have anything to show them. There's nothing of any substance to it. When we get asked of that reason of hope that's in us, we don't have anything to say. So I think that's why this is so important that we live this way. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asked you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Now see, here's the context that he's talking about this. You know, we always say you've got to study and be willing to tell people what to do to obey the gospel. That's what this verse is saying is give a reason of that hope that's in us. That's not exactly the context that he's talking about here. I, I should know that, and I've got to be able to tell them that as they ask me, but in the context he's talking here, this is about how we're living our everyday life different than everybody else because we have a hope that's inside of us. We have a hope that we're living by. That hope is not wishful thinking. That hope is anchored. That hope is, a, is, is our faith. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's our evidence of things not seen. That's what we're showing to the world when we act differently. Because if it doesn't change our minds about how we should act, then what do we really have? We don't really have anything, do we? I, you know, I, I guess, I'll be honest to admit, I don't know that I have realized in the past how important it is 
of how you treat people. How important it is. Now, I've, I've always I felt like treated people decently and good, but in situations to where it truly matters that the rubber hits the road, that someone is, is, is speaking bad of you, slandering you, persecuting you in some way. Most time it's verbal. We don't have persecution like we've seen in Scripture uh, yet. But when that's happening, what do we do then? What sets us apart from everybody else? What sets us apart from them two groups that we talked about and put us in the group that God wants us to be in? It, again, it's how we treat people. Let's, let's move on to the last few verses. He said, Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, uh, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So uh, we're living the way that we're living. We're, we're suffering for uh, uh, for Christ, but he says, look what it does to that evildoer, because he says, defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, they may be ashamed. They may see what they're doing and realize what they're doing is not changing you. It doesn't matter what they do. You know, we're standing straight and tall and not bowing down to the idol. We're, we're, we're praying like we always do, whether we're going to lion's den or not. None of that matters all that matters is serving God. So what's that going to do to them? What, what, what effect does that have on that person? Does it have an effect? Does it change their minds? Does it cause them to think differently about what they're doing? And I think that's what it, what it comes down to. Because he says here, now it is better, of course that's what we know, if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than it is for evil. Um, again, those blessings, it may be God's will that we go with this particular suffering. And you know what? It may not even have anything to do with us. It may be for that person that's noticing it. You ever think about that? The suffering that I go through may be for somebody else's benefit. It may be to save someone else's soul, not mine. Maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing good. I'm doing what God says to do. I'm suffering for it. I'm enduring it as he says to endure it. I, I, I'm doing and saying during that process like he says to do it, and somebody else is benefiting because of it. I mean, think about it. Think about the suffering of Job. Has it benefited anybody? We're still studying about it today. We're still thinking about it today. You know, we're still considering it today. Look at all the benefits, all the blessing that come from Job's suffering. Yeah, was he blessed? In, did he inherit a blessing? Yeah. But look at all the people that it blessed that didn't even have anything to do with Job. Job was going through it for nothing that he'd done didn't even have anything to do with him. I think that's just kind of uh, interesting to me, an interesting thought to realize maybe I need to rethink what a blessing is. Maybe it shouldn't be just about when good things happen. It should be when I'm suffering because I know it's for the will of God. That's when we should be suffering. Look at verse 18 and we'll finish up. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive 
by the Spirit. Think about it. Notice what he says here. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered to bring us to God, didn't he? And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, if we're going to live like he did, should we suffer to bring others to him? I think that's exactly what he's talking about. So I, maybe that would give us something to think about. I appreciate you listening.